It would be so much easier if God would just open the sky, if he'd just tear it apart and go, here I am. Look, it's, it's me. I'm right here. Everything is going to be okay. Wouldn't that make you feel better? But imagine if he did that. Imagine you're just going about your day. You're at work. You're sitting at your desk. You're driving in your car. And the sky opens. The clouds part. And there's God going, here I am. It would destroy us. Imagine if Jesus had done that. If he shows up on Christmas 2,000 years ago and he goes, here I am. King of kings. Lord of lords. Follow me. Worship me. We'd all be going, you're the king of what now? The who? We think... Life would be better. Life would finally make sense if God would just pull apart the sky and reveal himself, but it wouldn't work. It would blow us away. So God had a plan. Long before he was born in Bethlehem, Jesus would start showing up. He would start revealing his character. He would show his people what he's like. He can't just show up and go, ta-da, here I am. He would slowly over time reveal his nature. I mean, silly little example, but when we adopted our two youngest kids, they were four and one years old. Imagine if we just showed up at their foster family's house and said, hi, here we are. We're your new family. You're coming with us. Get in the car and, and bring your stuff. And you're coming to our house and you have to follow our rules. And we're mom and dad. Like that would have caused a ton of trauma. So what did we do over time? We started with a play date. And they came over to our house. Eventually, it was a sleepover. So that by the time we were officially a family, it wasn't scary for them anymore. We were mom and dad. They were really excited. Jesus does the same thing. He reveals himself over time. So we jumped into a new sermon series last week called Revealed. And we're looking at the way Jesus reveals his character, his nature to his people, so that when he finally comes on Christmas... It's not a surprise. People know who he is. And in fact, they're super excited. He doesn't just show up and shock everybody. So today, the story that we're going to look at where Jesus reveals himself is in Daniel chapter three. So if you've got a Bible, get it out, go there. Daniel chapter three. And again, he can't open the sky and just declare, here I am. And yet he doesn't remain hidden. What we're going to see about Jesus's character today is that he's actually right here. So I want to just get right into the story and start reading it. And I'll give you some of the details sort of as we go. It's written by a guy named Daniel. And Daniel is a prophet for the nation of Israel. But he finds himself in Babylon. Babylon is the most powerful country in the world. And what they're doing is they're going around on this conquest. And they're taking over other countries. And they're gathering up their people and bringing them back to Babylon. Where they can make them work for them. They can make them their slaves. And one of these nations is Israel. And so God's people find themselves in Babylon and they're starting to ask these questions like, where are you, God? When are you going to show up? So here's their story. Daniel chapter three. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, a whole bunch of important people. He summoned them to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all these important people come. They assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and this guy is brutal. He is a madman. He is carnal. He loves 
money. He loves to party. He's a warmonger. He loves power. And so he, the most powerful man in the world, he commissions the building of a tower on the plains of Babylon. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, if you go, this tower thing and the plains of Babylon, it sounds sort of familiar. It is. This is a a, sort of a hyperlink Daniel is giving us back to something that happened earlier in the Bible. Back in Genesis 11, there's a story we call the Tower of Babel. And there were some people who got this idea. We're going to build this tower on the plains of Babylon. We're going to build this tower so high, people are going to be super impressed with us. They're going to come from all over and they're going to see like, wow, these people are really great. These people are super powerful. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he must have liked that idea because he's doing the same exact thing. I'm going to build something that's so big, 90 feet high, made of gold. It's so impressive that people will come from all over and they're going to see it and they're going to go, man, this guy is awesome. Look how powerful and great he is. And guess what? They do. He doesn't just build it, but then he summons the people and all these powerful people, they actually show up because he's the king and that's what he tells them to do. And so they show up in Babylon and yet it's not enough to build the tower really great, to summon everyone and have the kind of power that you could call people from all over the world and they actually show up. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it's not enough. So verse four, this happens. It says, then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language. So they're all gathered from all over the place, all these important people. And the spokesman for the king comes out and declares, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So it's not enough that the whole world has come to see what you've made. You got the who's who of Babylon. He he has his eye on this, really this global empire. And so he invites all these dignitaries, all the important people, and they come. He has that kind of power, but that's not enough. He goes, when you hear the band start playing, fall down. All of you physically fall down in worship before this this monument. Now, is this an idol to a pagan god or more likely maybe just a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself? We're not really sure. But he says, fall down in front of this thing and worship. And guess what they do? They do it. And this might seem a little bit silly to us because in our Western culture, we don't live around idols. So this idea of falling down and worshiping in front of a a statue of gold seems kind of ridiculous. But haven't you seen people do ridiculous things around powerful people? They just do, right? Powerful people have sort of that, that, that kind of magnetism that people will do whatever. The most powerful man in the world has said, you will bow down. And if you don't, I've got this fireplace over here and we're going to take you and we're going to put you in the fireplace. Like you're going to bow down and worship or you're going to die. It's that extreme. Just a, just a side note. I don't know, something that stands out to me about leadership here. Throughout history, there have been people who set themselves up as kings and leaders and maybe even prophets who have demanded something from their followers. They've demanded that people follow them. They've demanded allegiance 
You know that Jesus himself never does that? I mean, just sort of interesting, right? Like you have this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who demands allegiance. You will follow me. You will bow down. You will worship the way I've told you to worship. And the irony is, is Jesus Christ, the greatest leader of all time, God himself never does that. He never demands anything of anyone. He invites people, come, follow me, come and believe in me. Nebuchadnezzar sets himself up as God. And the irony is he misses the character of the true God, that God in his nature is gentle and he's lowly and he's humble and he doesn't make demands. He, he invites us to follow him. Back to the story. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has brought people from all over the place and what's going on in the world is, at this time, is there are all kinds of gods. There are all kinds of statues, all kinds of idols. It's not out of the ordinary for people to worship a bunch of gods. In fact, they'll have a god for every little thing, and then when something is going wrong in life, they'll just add another god. Like, why not? Just add another one. And so for him to say, well, now worship this god. These people are so fickle. It's, it's no problem. They'll worship pretty much anything and anyone except for this group of people called the Israelites. The Israelites don't do this multiple God thing. The Israelites only worship one God, the God of Israel, the one true God. And so while you have all these people who are willing to just fall down and, and, and worship this idol, you have the Israelites, these three dudes in particular, who go, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't do that. No, I know you're really powerful, but we can't do that. That kind of goes against the relationship that we have with our God. See, centuries before, there were these things called the Ten Commandments, right? And a couple of those commandments deal with this. One of them says, you shall have no other gods beside me. Like, I'm the only God. Another one of the Ten Commandments says, don't make any idols, don't make any images to worship. So you have these, these guys who are like, it's super clear, we, we can't do this. So the band plays, and everybody falls down around them, and you have these guys just, just standing there going, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we can't comply. Th their names are, are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're from my generation and you grew up on VeggieTales, their names are Rackshack and Benny. You'll remember the story. If you're like, what's VeggieTales? YouTube. It'll change your life. It's fantastic. You have these three guys, and they just, they won't, they won't do it. They won't bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes to them and he goes, listen, guys, what's the deal? He knows them. They work in the palace. Listen, I, I gave you places to work. I've treated you well. Why won't you bow down? And they go, yeah, we're sorry. We, we can't do it. And he goes, listen, I'm a forgiving guy. We, we have a relationship. I'm a forgiving guy. So you get one more chance. You can, we're going to play the music again. We're going to try this thing again. The band's going to play and you will bow down and worship. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fire. And he says this, your God cannot save you. Back to the text, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we need not defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. Stay here for just a second. I love what they say. The God we serve is able to deliver us from this. It's life and death. It's no joke. 
And they go, King, we, 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 we just can't do it. We can't worship the statue, but the God we serve can deliver us. And I love this. I love the confidence they have to just go, we, we believe that our God can get us out of this. Our God can solve this. This is not more than he can handle. And they have this incredible strength. And you go, why would they have that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is these guys have seen God move before. They know the power of God. You've seen God move in your life before, right? You know what he's capable of. They had seen God move. So a couple chapters earlier, Daniel 1, these guys are told, you, you, you need to eat this, this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And they go, I'm sorry, we can't do that. And they watched as God sustained them. Also, they're just sort of trusting God's word that God throughout history had said, you can trust me. Nothing is bigger than me. I'm able to do things that you, you can't even imagine. And so they're, they're holding on to that. They stand before the king and they go, God can deliver us from this. And I think it's really cool. And I think it's important for us because how often do we go, just go through life, go through our day and we run into something and it surprised us. Maybe it just knocked us off our feet. Do we ever just go, you know what? I didn't see this coming, but my God can save me from this. Before we get wrecked by anxiety, before we freak out, do we ever just stop and go, no, God is bigger than all of this. God, this is not something that God can't handle. Do you ever just stop and go, God, you can save me from this. I know that you're able. I think there's something there just to, just to chew on. As much as I love that, though, I love what they say next. They say, God is able to deliver us. They go back to the text. They say, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up, even if he doesn't. See, King, we know that God can save us. They don't go, well, maybe he can't or maybe he won't. They're not sort of hedging their bet. They're not just trying to play it safe or protect God's reputation. They go, no, no he absolutely can save us. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. We trust him. We're still going to believe that he's good. We're, we're still going to believe that he's God. Imagine if you lived your life that way. Just imagine the implications of that. Because you bump into big things and small things all the time that, that sort of freak you out, that cause anxiety. Imagine if you lived this way. What does that look like? Uh, imagine your, your doctor calls and there's a scary diagnosis. Imagine being able to say, oh, God can save me. He absolutely has the power to heal me. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that he will. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. I'll trust him. He's still good. He's still God. Imagine you have some relationship that's just wrecked. Your spouse walked out on you. And you go, you know, I believe that God can save this. I believe that God can redeem this. He can reconcile our relationship. But even if he doesn't, that's okay. Imagine living like that. You've been out of work for a year, just barely piecing it together and go, God could give me a job. I absolutely believe that God could give me a job. And, and you know what? 
I will believe that he's going to give me a job. But to be able to say, even if he doesn't, even if he does not, he's still God. It's okay. He's still good. I'm still going to trust him. Imagine living in that space where you can go, God, I believe you are capable of all things. I think you're big enough to deliver me from this, whatever this is. But also living in the reality of he might not. Right? He doesn't just physically heal everyone the way that we wish that he would. He doesn't just magically make every relationship better. He might not give you the spouse that you want. He might not give you the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Is it okay? Will you still trust him? Is he still God? Is he still good? Our friends, Rakshak and Benny, that's the situation that they're, that they're in. They go, we can't do what you're asking. It goes against our relationship with God. We believe that he can deliver us. We absolutely are sure that he can save us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, it's okay. We're still going to trust him. We're still going to follow him. He's still good. Remember that it's really important for where the story goes. Now let me get to the good part. We're not even to the good part yet. Let me get to the, get to the good part because the king is ticked. So guess what he does? He hogties these guys and he throws them into the fireplace, right? And just as he's about to do that, superhero Jesus shows up with his cape and he jumps in front of the fire and he said, no, that's not what happens at all. These guys get hogtied and chucked into the fire. Watch what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement and he asks his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your majesty. Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Think about it for a minute. Just think about what happens if Jesus shows up, because we want Jesus to not let anything bad ever happen, to jump in front of every situation that we have and to fix it. But what happens if Jesus just shows up right before that moment where they're going to get thrown into the furnace? Superhero Jesus shows up and he cuts off the ropes and he beats up their captors and he, and he gets them out of distress. He gets them out of danger. What, what happens? I mean, I'm not sure. It's a cool story. We probably chalk it up to folklore. We go, oh man, brave. Jesus is so brave and he's so strong. He's so powerful. But you know what? There's lots of stories of powerful people. There's lots of stories of men and women that are, that are brave throughout history. So if he shows up and, and, he, and he stops this from happening, in one sense, you go, oh man, that's really great. But you and I miss out on seeing the character of, of Jesus. We miss out on, on seeing this, this Jesus who we know that he can do miracles. We know that he's powerful, but we miss out on seeing that Jesus is also this person who comes to be present with his people in their distress. He comes to be near his people. If he just comes and saves the day, great. Superhero Jesus, awesome. But we miss out on his character, that he comes to be with us. We'll come back to that in a minute. You go, how do you know it's Jesus? Well, truth be told, I don't. It could be an angel, but there's something here that kind of clues me in. I love this word right here, look. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, when he sees the fourth person. It sort of reminds me, remember what John the Baptist says? Fast forward to the New Testament. John the Baptist sees Jesus of, of Galilee. Remember what he says? He says, look, behold, look. 
Check it out for yourself. John 1 verse, verse 29. It's the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, John the Baptist says, look, I think there's some connection that God is making here for us to show us that this is, that this is Jesus. Jesus has come into the fiery furnace with his friends, with his people. So what's he trying to show us? What is Jesus trying to reveal about himself? Remember, he's not going to tear open the sky and go, hey, ta-da, here I am. But he also doesn't remain hidden. Gives us these glimpses. He starts to reveal things. So what's he trying to show us? Let's stay here in verse 25 for a minute. It's packed full of stuff I want to show you. If you're a note taker, write a few things down. The idea that there are four men in the fire tells me this. It tells me that Jesus is present. Jesus is present with his people in their distress. So when Jesus is born, leading up to the time that he's born, there's all this prophecy. And what do people say his name is? That it will be? They say Emmanuel. The prophecy is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God with us. But guess what? He didn't become Emmanuel 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always been God with us. He was God with us for for these guys in the furnace. He was God with us for men and women. Long before that, he is God with us today. He is Emmanuel right now. About a century before all this happened, Isaiah 41, God says, do not fear. I'm with you. Six or 700 years earlier in, in, in Deuteronomy, he says, I'll never leave you. Right? I'm always with you. I will never forsake you. We so badly have it in our head that if Jesus would just rip the sky open and show us who he is, and I get it, that's that when we're going through something hard that's understandable, we're going through grief, divorce, loss, anxiety, something with our kids, we're stuck in the middle of a pandemic, and we're going, Jesus, where are you? And he's going, I'm, I'm right here. If he ripped open the sky, he would blow us away. So he goes, I'm right here with you, especially with people in their distress. Yes, with people in their joy also, but somehow uniquely present with us, with his people in our distress and in our despair. We're never alone. We, we, we are never apart from Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. Terrible analogy, really terrible analogy. Don't send me any emails. I know it's bad. Think about a dog for a minute. Have you ever noticed there's something about a dog? A dog can just tell when you're having a bad day. A dog will just like make his way up to people who are sad, who if someone's crying, just having a bad day, a dog will just come and comfort you. And, and all he'll do is just come sit next to you. And there's something about having a dog just come and be present, just sit next to you, that it's like, it's, it's comforting, right? It doesn't work with cats because they're from Satan, but that's a different story, <laughs> different day. A dog comes and sits next to you, and you just pet, pet, the emails are coming from that one. You just pet the dog, right? And it's comforting. So now imagine it's the creator of the universe who comes and sits next to you, who holds yesterday and tomorrow in the palm of his hands. And he just comes and sits with you. Even if he does nothing, he can, he has the power to, but even if he does nothing, he just sits with you. He just rides with you in the car. He just goes to that doctor's appointment with you. He's just there. You're never alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, 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 they don't have to be alone. This is the character of Jesus. 
that of all the places he could be, he chooses to be present with his people. But there's more to say. Verse 25, listen to it again. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the God. Something about them walking around, I think, is just really cool because Jesus could do a lot of things, but Jesus doesn't come and put out the fire. Instead, he chooses, he makes the decision to come and join them in the fire. Couldn't he have just caused a rainstorm that that put the fire out? Couldn't he have just gone from heaven and it just puts the fire out and it's no problem? Couldn't he just teleport these guys to a tropical beach somewhere? But he doesn't. He puts himself into the fire. He doesn't stay in heaven. He doesn't stand outside the furnace and go, hey, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. I got this. He walks into the fire. He goes, if you have to go through it, I'm going to go through it with you. Listen to Isaiah 43. God says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. It's not that he stops the fire. He could. Instead, he joins his people in the fire. I mean, you could apply that so broadly to all these kinds of situations in your life. But, you know, if you you go for the next chemo treatment, it's just making you physically sick. Guess what? Jesus is sick with you. He feels that physical sickness. You could be experiencing grief because of loss. Guess what? Jesus feels that grief with you. Isn't it actually better that he doesn't just snap his fingers from on high, doesn't just wave a wand and fixes everything. He actually walks into it with us because he could do that. He could just fix everything. I think of a story in the New Testament, a story of Lazarus. Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, and Jesus goes and stands outside his grave, and he calls to him, Lazarus, come on out. He could have done that at the furnace. Guys, come on out. But then you and I wouldn't know who this Jesus is. You and I wouldn't know that Jesus is the Savior who walks into the fire with us, who goes, if you have to go through it, I'm going to go through it with you. I'm not going to stand on the sidelines and just cheer you on. I'm going through it with you. I'm going to walk into your messy relationships. I'm going to walk into your anxiety. I'm going to walk into your depression. I'm going to feel it with you. I'm going to celebrate with you in joy. I'm going to go through everything that you are going through. Go back to it one more time. Verse 25, he says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. Something about these guys no longer bound, strolling around in the fire. They're still in the fire. The most powerful man in the world wants them dead. But here's what we know is that where Jesus is present, there's freedom and there's peace. I mean, they're still in the fire. They know what fire does. They see the flames all around them. They know that it can burn them but they're just in there walking around because when Jesus is present, there is freedom and there is peace. You think about those last few hours he has on earth with his friends and he can tell them absolutely anything. What does he say? John 14, my peace I give to you. Don't be afraid. My peace I leave with you. John 16, it's because of me that you can experience 
peace. There's this kind of life. Listen to this. There's this kind of life that's available that when our eyes are on Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is present, we can experience peace. We can experience freedom no matter what's going on. Could I ask you a question? It's really simple. Do you believe that Jesus is present with you today? I mean, do you, do you believe seems simple, right? But do you believe that he's present with you? Do you believe that he actually sits with you and he knows your joy and he knows your grief? He knows your loss. He knows your anxiety. He knows your frustrations. Because it really comes down to this. If I can believe that Jesus is present with me, I will experience all kinds of freedom. I will experience peace no matter what's going on. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, the Bible is shouting at you. He's with you. You're never alone. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't have that kind of peace, you can have it. Talk to someone today. Chat with us online. Talk to someone on our team. Let us talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, to actually experience peace in your life because you've believed the lie that your happiness and your freedom and your peace are dependent on your circumstances. You believe the lie that your life is is too messy, but there's this God who walks into the mess, not distant, not hidden, not on high, but walks into the mess and where he is, there's freedom. Please talk to us. Christ follower, do you believe that he's present with you? Let me finish the story. These three guys come out of the fire. They're fine. Where did the fourth go? Not sure. Doesn't really matter. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Praise be to God who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. So let me just make it really practical. Every circumstance is a chance for us to see that Jesus is present with us. If Jesus was in the furnace, he's present in your home. He's present in your car. He's present in your workplace. He's present in your classroom. He knows your pain. He feels your anxiety. He feels your grief. He celebrates you with you you in your joy. I mean, you might have woken up this morning, probably many of you did, and thought to yourself, where is Jesus? He's right here. Look, Daniel writes. Look, John says. He's right there. Are you looking? Look, you'll see him. God, thanks that you're with us always. Thanks that you have not remained hidden. God, it's this life, it's really hard to understand sometimes. And it's really hard to understand if you're good, if you're God, if you're all powerful, why won't you put out the fire? It's hard for us, Lord. But it's more meaningful 
to know that you walk into the fire with us. Thank you that you don't leave us. We're never alone. Thank you that you don't sit on high and go, yeah, yeah, yeah everything's going to be okay. Jesus, you journey into the mess with us. And where you are, there's peace. Where you are, there's freedom, regardless of our circumstances. God, help us that we wouldn't feel alone. Help us to know that you're Emmanuel today as much as you were 2,000 years ago when you came to earth. That no matter what we face this week, what we go through, we don't do it alone. God, we believe that you can do great things. We believe that nothing is too big for you to handle and that you can intervene in our lives, that you can fix things, that you can change our circumstances. But God, even if you don't, it's okay. We'll trust you. We'll believe that you're good and we'll believe that you're God. 